Welcome to the Institute of World Politics podcast. IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. To learn more, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you for attending this lecture at the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is a graduate school of national security and international affairs. We have five master's degree programs, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. If you're interested in learning more about us, please feel free to speak to one of our staff at the conclusion of this event. Our speaker today is Franek Vyachorka. I'm sorry, I touched the thing. Um, he is an MA candidate at American University in New Media, Democracy, and International Affairs. Previously, he studied at the College of Europe, Warsaw University, and Belarus State University. Currently, he works for the Broadcasting Board of Governors and the Radio Free Europe Radio Liberty Belarus Service. Franak is a Vaclav Havel Fellow nominated by Václav Havel himself, and he is also the laureate of the Civil Society Leadership Award. Please join me in welcoming our speaker. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming. Uh, I hope we will build today's uh, presentation in the form of discussion. So if you have any questions or you disagree or you want to comment, uh, please uh, uh, stand up and uh, tell it publicly. So today I'm going to speak about Belarus, but not about Belarus, but rather about Russia, because the patterns we see in Belarus, they could be seen in any other post-Soviet countries, especially in current Armenia. And you will see how many similarities, especially uh, of using uh, cultural instruments are in Armenia, and why Russia is not so upset with Armenian revolution than, for example, with uh, revolutions in, in other countries like Georgia. Uh, so uh, my research is a result uh, here you will see the presentation uh, is a which is a combination of different research but the primary one was made in American University and I would like to thank uh, uh, Kate Darden who was my professor of the nationalism and state building uh, classes in American University who helped me to do this um, project so first I will start with some background on Belarus uh, so Belarus, you know, it's uh, it's a very Russified country. After Soviet Union collapse, it was... Maybe I have to speak more to the microphone, yes. After Soviet Union collapse, it was uh, the most Russified country uh, with the biggest share of Russian-speaking population in um, among all post-Soviet, 15 post-Soviet states. Um, uh, the Russians also manipulated this word uh, Belaya Rus, which is a combination between Belaya, like white, and Rus. Uh, and which is often uh, misunderstood by Americans and the Westerners uh, because Rus is not the same as Russia. You know, Rus, it means uh, Ruthenia. So after uh, Lukashenko came to power in 94, uh, the new wave of Russification, we love this word and I'm going to use it often today. Um, Lukashenko started a new wave. The first Russification began in uh, 1795, that's uh, the third partition of Zhezh uh, Pospolita. Polish, Lithuanian, Belarusian Commonwealth, and uh, uh, Belarus now is uh, suffering from the excessive uh, presence of uh, Russian language, mass culture, religion. I'm going to show you uh, later how 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 it is, and of course, educational sphere. Uh, education is um, uh, school education, preschool education, university education is uh, primarily in Russian language and. Uh, uh, literally, one week ago, there was a big fight in Belarusian media. Uh, the parents who wanted to give their children to Belarusian-speaking schools, they were not able to do this. 
Um, and uh, I think these conflicts, they're happening very often when the Belarusian-speaking population is literally discriminated. That's why I wanted uh, in today's report to emphasize, you know, the roots of such discrimination. So to, in today's Belarus, there are two main narratives. And these narratives, sometimes they do not cross each other. They exist parallelly. There is nationalist narratives, which was uh, formed, let's say, first time in uh, 100 years ago, in 1918, when the Belarusian People's Republic was formed. And it existed not for a long time when Bolshevik uh, came and, and took Belarus territory. And um, the second wave of this, of the formation of this pro-Belarusian narrative, it was in the 90s, uh, similar to other post-Soviet countries or Ukraine or uh, Caucasus state and even Baltic states, uh, we have the wave of this nationalism uh, rise when uh, the schools were uh, turned, switched to uh, national local languages and um, there was a big popularity of local cultures. So this narrative still exists in Belarus, primarily in internet. It appeals to the history, Grand Duchy of Lithuania, Belarusian People's Republic, European past, a common past with Lithuania and uh, Poland, Commonwealth. And the second narrative is a mix of Soviet and uh, Russian imperialistic narrative. It is promoted by state TV channels, state media, uh, and by organizations I'm going to talk today. And these narratives is uh, dominate, dominant now in Belarus. And uh, sometimes people who live in the same city, in the same town, even on the same floor in their houses, you know, they can share absolutely opposite narratives and perceive their history, their identity and culture in absolutely extremely different way. So Russification policies and all these instruments mentioned in the topic of today's presentation, they are uh, not um, new. Uh, they were invented uh, first uh, uh, during Catherine the Great time, uh, which um, announced the return of Belarusian land under the Russian Empire uh, motherhood. And Muravyov, a governor who, was, who made a crackdown of uh, the anti-Russian um, uh, rise, appraisal, appri in 1864, 63-64, he actually very good, very very well, uh, very well formed. He uh, clarified what are main instruments of Russian presence and influence on these lands, and not only Belarus but also part of uh, uh, Poland, modern Poland, Lithuania, of course, and uh, and Russia. So these are main four instruments of the modern Belarus. Uh, we are going to talk today about the media influence, uh, how it forms uh, the identity and public opinion, civil society, but it's not really civil, it's not real society. Um, I, I just use this American term, which is not very usable, you know, to, to describe the Russian organizations present in Belarus. Of course, church and think tanks, uh, my favorites. Uh, so here are the structure, um, which was a result of my, my research. I tried to collect information on all pro-Russian organizations, uh, which are registered and not registered, but are active since 2015 at least once. Uh, so 141 organizations was analyzed, and I tried to structureize them according to their goal, to their um, activities, uh, to their uh, narratives they, uh, they promote. I also found out that they have different sources of funding. Uh, some of them are getting money directly from Russian government, uh, openly or not publicly, and some of them work through funds, 
foundations. Rassotrudnichestva, Ruski Mir Foundation, which is very famous because of its name, Garchakov Foundation and Compatriots Fund, Sotechestvenike. Um, and the four main elements, uh, which are working parallelly but support each other. Uh, some of them have symbiotic relationship. For example, civil organizations, they are usually attached to church, to church organizations. Um, and uh, at the same time, media, they often uh, they publish all the information, all the news about the activities of civil organizations. So they strengthen each other, they distribute this um, narratives, they um, uh, justify uh, protests or um, of pro-Russian uh, movements in Belarus if it is needed. And for example, today or yesterday there was a big conflict in Minsk because these uh, Russian bikers, or how you call them, wanted to have another, you know, um, march uh, through Belarusian territory and to make a big protest supporting like uh, victory of uh, 1945, uh, so they were refused for the first time, I think for the first time, uh, by Belarus government. Belarus authorities did not let them do this uh, action. Uh, so that's also a good um, example how these narratives collide and how the government, Belarus uh, regime, is changing its attitude towards Russian presence in Belarus. So here the map where I try to uh, mark all the centers of influence uh, from all these 141 organizations and mark the regions where they are present. Of course, um, primarily they're big cities. We see the big representation on the West, uh, which is related to the uh, uh, big presence of Russian Orthodox Church in these areas. So it was a little bit um, uh, a big finding for myself, you know, because Russian Orthodox are much more active, for example, in the West, uh, formerly Polish lands uh, before 1939, uh, and not in the East, which is like very um, uh, secular. Uh, population does not go to church and really is very uh, apathetic uh, in terms of politics. So here I uh, marked uh, Russian military bases which existed according to uh, the lateral agreement since 90s and 2000s. Uh, centers of culture and science, and I know that this year Russians are going to create a new centers in new other cities. Uh, but today they are existing in Homil, uh, it's a southeastern city, uh, Brest uh, on the border with Poland, Minsk, but they're also going to create a similar center in, uh, in uh, Hrodna. Uh, here we also see another center, Russian Center in Brest University. I think Brest is, uh, has such large presence uh, because of um, after Second World War, it was largely populated by military, Russian military. And uh, in general, compared to other Western Belarus areas, Brest is very Russified and the uh, majority of population choose Russian language in, in this region. Uh, also Cossacks groups, they look like these uh, small elements, uh, small soldiers uh, with guns. Um, they're not really military, they're paramilitary groups, but um, uh, there, there was a very uh, good analysis of their activities uh, recently in Belarus, and they were called uh, as a uh, Russian Taliban in Belarus, because they are so obsessed with the combination of the fight for Orthodox Church, so many people really compare them to, to uh, radical uh, Islamists. And NGOs. NGOs could be registered or not. Uh, some of them were registered much before Russia occupied Crimea. 
So this uh, phenomenon of Russian presence is not uh, anything uh, new. The idea is that in one particular, particularly um, uh, in one moment after Russian occupation of Crimea, all of them were activated. And now we see you know, the trend that everyday news related to their activities. And of course, Russian media, not only uh, Sputnik and Russia today, Americans usually, they, uh, they think that Russia, Russian uh, media are only Sputnik and Russia today, and their like, understanding of this presence is limited to this. Uh, in reality, Russian me media presence is primarily through services. Like China, it created parallel internet with Weibo, with WeChat, with its search engines. The same Russia, it creates the parallel internet, Kontakti, Adnaklasniki, Yandex, Mail.ru, with its infrastructure. And when you go to this infrastructure, Runet, they call it, you don't need to go out, you know, to this uh, Western, uh, West-based uh, uh, digital services. So here, it's a, it's a to summarize, you know, this uh, base of analysis I, I used. So we have cultural centers, NGO think tanks, uh, Russian Orthodox Church affiliates and uh, NGOs. So what are goals of uh, Russian soft power, I call it, but also soft power, it's a Western term. Yes, soft power, hard power, smart power. Uh, in reality, uh, it's a combination of soft power uh, and um, cultural public diplomacy tools, which supposed to support hard power. Because you can see that all narratives, all the ideas uh, of all these organizations, they are primarily to support, to promote, to strengthen uh, the image and reputation of Russian military, Russian history, Russian imperialism. Uh, and I will show you examples later. So uh, that's the result of my analysis. What do they promote? I classified all these 141 organizations and analyze their content during March, April 2018 and try to understand what are their main narratives. So some organizations can be anti-Western and uh, uh, Eurasian at the same time. So here, the, not percentage, but number of organizations. We see that the most of organizations I analyzed, they are promoting Pan-Slavism, uh, Russian culture, Orthodoxy, and anti-Western. When I say anti-Western, I mean all the political... Uh, I, uh, political stuff which could be like anti-democratic, anti-Western, anti-liberal, everything I, I put in this category. Uh, also, don't confuse the word Panslavism. Panslavism, Panslavic, because um, it's not only about the reunification of Slavs. For example, Russians don't intend to reunite Czechs or Poles with a big Russia. Uh, when we call Panslavism, we use like Russian Panslavism, all Russian, triune Russian, uh, triune all Russian nation, uh, Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia. So three countries which are core of this big Russian Panslavism concept. Uh, so according to this Panslavism uh, idea, idea, Russia um, should embrace uh, the, all our lands, which were divided uh, unfairly uh, as a result of, of historical consequences under Orthodox Church, Russian language, and Russian culture. And uh, to, to, to show you how this uh, different narratives and uh, supporters of, do, of those two narratives are polarized. I, I show you this um, uh, um, poll, uh, opinion poll uh, made by Novak. It shows that 41% uh, say that Belarusian, Russian, and Ukrainian are the part of the triune Slavic nation, and 51% uh, Belarusian are the separate nation. 
So you see, it's difficult to build a um, unified, strong uh, state and a nationhood if you have different understanding what are your nation, what are Belarusians, what means to be Belarusian. Uh, so, first part, pro-Russian organizations and initiatives. Uh, I, I just want to, if you take all of you this uh, short summary, just take it. Uh, just on these papers, you can, you can see some diagrams because uh, to, to see better, you know, the details and numbers. So that's an example, the video, which was supported, I think, by Rosa Trudnicista in 2015. They produced huge amount of this video, and every day at Belarusian TV channels, such video were shown. It is in Russian, but I will try to explain main uh, sense. <laughs> Сначала сделать домашнюю географию и перекусить. Помнишь, в Москве в Мандировке ведь ездят в Минном Хагаре? Здравствуйте. This is just example. Uh, the idea of this movie that the, the, go, the, the boy asking the man, oh, you're living in Arkhangelsk, it means you're Russian, you're a foreigner. And he said, no, I'm not foreigner, I'm Russian, but not. But you are living like behind our border. Yeah, but there is no border. And the woman, you know, she's sitting like nearby and she said, so you will see, you will sleep, fall asleep, and you will wake up in Russia. So something just like to, to show, you know, the lack of differences, uh, uh, the absence of border, and to prepare, you know, the public opinion and thinking, you know, for p p potential reunification. So this video was published just a few months after uh, occupation of Crimea, uh, but um, one year later, it was deleted from all platforms, all social networks, all these videos from this series, and I think because of the order of, uh, of the government, of the regime. Because the regime in 2016-17, they uh, changed their attitude, as I mentioned, to Russian initiatives, projects, and organizations. Uh, so three funds, uh, main funds, which are sponsoring organization. Rosatrudnichestva, they are sponsoring primarily cultural initiatives, organizations that are um, making classes, lessons of Russian language, literature, competition for a school, for pupils. Uh, so formerly, like, uh, formerly it was um, just organization working with compatriots around the globe, 
But now they started to push also some political messages. For example, when schools are organizing competition of Russian literature, they always invite guests uh, from Russia. Gorchakov Fund is less known, but they are very, very supportive to think tanks, experts groups. Uh, it's formal, it's uh, form, uh, formally it's a um, uh, public diplomacy fund. Uh, sponsored direct, directly from uh, by by uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs and the President of Russia, and um, I, I read um, uh, the initial documents. Uh, Russians wanted to recreate the American uh, National Endowment for Democracy, uh, Open Society Foundations. So to make the copy, to duplicate, you know, idea of American foreign uh, um, uh, foreign aid programs. Uh, and to, to do in the same way. The biggest difference is that uh, compared to Americans, which are not trying to manipulate identity, Russians do it very actively. And they use these funds not only in Belarus, but all post-Soviet space and the, and the region. So uh, Garchakov Fund is, will, will be spon is sponsoring think tanks, which I'm going to mention later. And Ruski Mir. Ruski Mir is only one of a uh, of, uh, few uh, fund foundations, but they have a lot of money. And they give this money to different uh, social networks, initiatives, uh, competitions as well, videos like we have seen. Um, formally, it's everything about culture and education. But in fact, it's, um, it's, it's a work on more deeper you know, identity uh, level. So on the Roski Mir, they, um, they, they published a map with all their representations across the Europe. And you can see it's not only in Belarus, it's not only, it's only, it's only post-Soviet space. It, it is in Great Britain, it is in Spain, it is in Germany, everywhere. Uh, I, I was shocked because there is no in France almost. Maybe there are, uh, they, do, they don't think that France need, you know, the, this uh, pro-Russian uh, propaganda because France uh, are very perceptive and supportive and not Russian historically. So we see here uh, different organizations supported by Ruski Mir, and one of them, for example, are making protests near Bundestag. Every, yes, please? Just a, just a quick question on this one. I thought that uh, Russia has a massive uh, new cultural center in Paris, because I've seen the pictures. When, when, That's only Ruski Mir. Only Ruski Mir foundations organizations. Okay. It's not all the representation. I'm sure they're much more. They have and not only in Paris. Yes. Uh, so, and all the centers, they are like focused on the cultural issues, educational issues. And here you, have, you see examples of their initiatives in Belarus. Use of Europe for Peace, Congress of Russian-speaking Press in Minsk, Cinema Festival of Slavic Films We Want Together. It was for anniversary of the victory in the Second World War. Uh, um, um, not Second World War, they call it like Great uh, Patriotic War. Um, so here are topics, uh, main directions of their grant program. Compatriots, culture and art, education and science, safe Russian language, public diplomacy, significant and memorable dates. Unfortunately, there is no information about um, the grant distribution, so you can't see which organization is funded, which is not. You can only assume, because organizations which are funded, they usually publish a lot of information about uh, activities of Garchakov Fund or Saturnicist Fund, and that's my assumption that they are funded. So, but I don't have any proofs. So let's uh, let's assume that uh, organizations which are related, which are promoted in all these foundations, they are potentially are funded. And here are examples of uh, funded projects: open discussion in the university family tradition values. It was in Minsk. A meetings of compatriots in Russian cultural center. 
Poems about war, the competition for pupils, uh, 14, 16 years old. Dusha, Slava, Malitva, Ishit, competition for Russian writing authors. Also, they have the Congress of Russian-speaking press, uh, newspapers, and uh, uh, that they support financially, newspapers, uh, small radio stations, which belong to this compatriots network. Um, Summer Academy uh, and other, you know, cultural public diplomacy uh, examples. Uh, in 2017, they have at least 25 projects in schools for children. That's why I defined uh, children as one of the most vulnerable groups to this influence because children, they don't have critical thinking and they adopt, they accept, you know, these ideas very easily. So we see here Pushkin, we see here the um, flash mob Stalingrad, uh, we see here the... Um, uh, uh, the day of the unification of Belarus and uh, Russia in Mahilov. And uh, every day, if you just like Google, uh, Shkola, Belarus, uh, Russia, you will see a lot of news. And not only, uh, it's not only about culture, I will show you that also they cooperate in these paramilitary uh, projects too. Uh, here are examples uh, of this 141 procurement organization in Belarus. I classified them by six uh, categories. Uh, radical extremist movements, uh, I think all of you know about RNY, NBP, Russian National Unity, uh, NBP National Bolshevik Party, which are illegal both in Russia and both in Belarus, but they are very active on social networks. And recently they hired, they recruited people for fighting in Donbass on Russian side, of course. Um, use political organizations like Rus Maladaya, which are very supportive, very uh, popular on social networks, and they also distribute grants. So probably Rus Maladaya also could be considered as, uh, as the foundation. So military patriotic groups could be separated as uh, on Cossacks organization and Pan-Slavic groups, Slavyansky Komitet, Drużyna, Ros, Miratvorchyskaya Kazatskaya Gwardia, and also Orthodox groups and Eurasian groups. So you see all the names are very similar, like emphasizing orthodoxy, Russian, Sla Slavic uh, past, uh, um, etc. And uh, examples of their activities at this Conference of Compatriots in Minsk, Nikolai Starikov, ideologist of Ruski Mir, came to Minsk, and the activist of Nationalist Youth Front organized the protest against him. And there was a huge discussion in, uh, in Belarus media. Uh, should we like allow uh, people like Starikov who doesn't recognize independence of Belarus to come and to make public lecture in downtown. Oops, that's a video. That's a promo video of one organization. Новороссия. Okay, I will not. Uh, it's psychologically difficult to to watch it many times. Uh, so this is uh, this is one of many videos you know, published on this pro-Russian radical movement organization and their pages on social networks. You see, they recruit people for fighting, they make uh, paramilitary camps, they promote this idea of Nova Russia, and uh, some of them promote the idea of uh, 
Белая Россия, you know, this change of the concept in Belarus as the province of Russia. And uh, mm-hmm. actually they are really uh, popular. You know, many uh, schools are involved in the project of these organizations and send their children on summer vacations, uh, 14, 16 years old actually. Uh, children, it's about 8, uh, 10 grade. Yeah, 8th, ninth grade uh, of the school, of the secondary school. And they sent to forest where orthodox children camps, where they train with firearms, with cold arms. And uh, every day they start with, uh, um, not mass, but praying. And they finish day with praying. So that's uh, this combination. And that's why this Cossacks movement, it's not just about Cossacks. You have seen a few days ago the protest in Russia, where Cossacks taking part in the dispersal, disperse disperse of the protesters. So I think that Cossacks, that's a really uh, important, significant uh, moment which um, which Russia uh, create on purpose. So in the, in the situation of any tensions of political unrest, this Cossacks organization could be activated and used, not only in Belarus, but any post-Soviet state. So sports clubs, gyms, with the names like Rus, Belarus, Silne Rus, etc., they are also involved and um, uh, related somehow to social networks for Russian groups or foundations I mentioned uh, before. Historical reconstruction groups about Russian Empire, you know, Suvorov, etc., and cadet schools. There are many agreements between Russian uh, military cadets, 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 yeah, cadet school. Correct me if, if I'm wrong or if you don't understand what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, and uh, if I'm, yeah, if it's getting boring, you can just like tell and uh, ask for, yeah, I know. I'm just too, too engaged, you know, on the topic. Uh, so cadets are very active in Belarusian schools, so they sign agreement. And children who are like the best uh, students in schools uh, in Belarus, they can go, you know, for training to Tambov, for example. And I have examples here. Oh, not here. Yeah, here. That's example, you know, the Min School 68. They signed cooperation like a few years ago, and every month they have some activities with the Stambov uh, Cadet School. Let me go back. So, um, yeah, so I think that the uh, number of Kazakhs organization much more than 50. Not, not, all of them are, not all of them are actively on the internet or easily to find, but they are uh, not very uh, numerous like 10, 15, 20, 50 people in each organization, but they're very organized. And uh, you see the examples of their names. Soldiers of Cossacks Guard, the descendants of Russian Cossacks, Belarusian Cossacks. It should be mentioned that in Belarus there is no tradition of Cossacks. You know, it's a historical phenomenon which uh, Cossacks as the guards of Orthodox and Russian, Russian Empire government, like free uh, recruiters, like recruiters who are serving to authorities, uh, they were like in Ukraine, they were in Russia, but never in Belarus. And the phenomena itself in Belarus, the Belarusian Kazakhs, uh, it, it just appeared recently, in 2000s. Yeah. 
Впрочем, никаких действий властей в отношении казачьего спаса после этих слов не последовало. Сам же лидер организации все обвинения в измене Родине отвергает и угрожает СМИ судебными исками за клевету. Дать интервью в программе «Настоящее время» Петр Шавко отказался. Поэтому, где начинаются границы его русского мира и где заканчиваются, нам узнать не удалось. So that's example. Kazakhi Spas. It's one of these many organizations, Kazakh organizations, which make trainings for children, some meetings, orthodox uh, events, and invite guests from Russia. And um, uh, there is, uh, there is, there are proofs that trainers are coming, are participants of the war in Ukraine, also like veterans of this uh, southeastern Ukraine conflict. Uh, think tanks and expert uh, senders. So they're not pure think tanks. Uh, some of these uh, organizations which I analyzed, they are uh, really just one expert could be, who, who has like the website and the group of supporters and commentators. And together they create kind of the community, which is uh, distributed, widely shared across contacts and underclassmen. That's why I also counted them a think tank. Because they are like the center of influence and they shape this pro-Russian narrative. So five topics I defined, like undermining uh, Belarus national identity, that it does not exist, criticizing the West and liberal values, discrediting opposition, uh, revising historic facts, and justifying Putin and Russia. And only one or two think tanks really are against Lukashenko. And they accuse Lukashenko in being anti-Russian. Uh, Lukashenko was angry about that, and he um, uh, arrested all of them, and some of them were deported to, Ru to, to Russia, some of them are in Belarusian prisons. So this, uh, this also happened like after 2015-16, uh, but uh, organizations like Sonar, Gevrazi Expert, they have uh, experts on both sides, on, in Russia and in Belarus, but writing a lot about Belarus about uh, integration with Russia, about uh, Slavic, uh, three unite Slavic history, about commune uh, Soviet past. So I classified all these think tanks, uh, three, uh, like three groups, uh, nine think tanks together by, by their topics. So all Russians, Eurasianists, and uh, combined version, which are promoted both. For example, uh, the victory in Second World War and great uh, heroism of the Soviet people. At the same time, they promote the Suvorov, uh, Muravyov, Catherine the Great, and others. So for whom it doesn't matter, you know, uh, do you appeal to Soviet past or to Russian Empire past? For them, the most important just to keep Belarus within this um, Moscow uh, narrative. Uh, and the examples of these uh, organizations, uh, they have different scale because, for example, Eurasia Expert and Sonar 2015, they are much bigger, much more influential, and they have uh, a lot of readers in Russia. And I think Russian stakeholders, they really listen to the opinions of these experts, Belarusian experts, of Sonar 2015 and Eurasia Expert. Zapadnaya uh, Rus, I think it's similar to, it's like a sect in reality of uh, fans of the reunification uh, and recreation of Russian Empire, but uh, their numbers on, uh, on the internet are growing, especially after 2014-15. Uh, here are topics, it's just publication like this from last month. Yevrazi uh, Expert, we didn't understand what is the... Okay, Sayuzhne Gasudarstvo, like Union, Russian, Belarusian Union State. Uh, the, top, the publication about diplomatic war against Russia, uh, the quote by American expert, 
Польша срывает Северный поток. So that's international news in this uh, uh, Russian-Moscow framework. And on the right, we see more um, opinionated uh, publications about um, uh, history of Belarus, the new approach, GLONASS. GLONASS is um, a Russian version of uh, uh, GPS, GPS uh, which they promote. Uh, it was just after the independence anniversary. Развенчание мифов о БНР, like debunking myth about Belarusian People's Republic. So you see the combination, political international news and the cultural historical uh, information. And here you see numbers of these groups, which are much higher than any uh, think tanks in Belarus. That's in March uh, 2018. And you see on the left column the visitors from Belarus each month, which for think tank website in Belarus uh, is quite, quite a lot, like 19,000 visitors or uh, 9,000 visitors. You know, in average, you know, Belarusian think tanks, they have like three, 4,000 maximum visitors per month. So that's a meeting that came in school. Uh, that's a recent publication with, uh, funded by Rossetrudnichestva from Zapadna Rus project. Uh, Lev Krishtapovich is author of this project. Uh, I think we have time out. So we have. Uh, because there will be media part, which, is, which I like the most. Uh, so these books were published for Russian money and uh, um, Belarus opposition and uh, civil society was outraged because that's a pure historical revisionism. Uh, Bessasser uh, and the Western Belarus under uh, uh, Bessasser was uh, Eastern Belarus under Soviet occupation and the Western Belarus was under Poland. And um, that's an absolute revisionism and explanation how Belarus and on the West were suffering and um, and they flew in to, to, to Russia, to the Soviet Union, you know, for a better future. Uh, but this, this story didn't say that all of them were killed by Stalin uh, in 37-38. Muravyov Vyashelnik, like a main hero and like an alternative to Kastus Kalinowski, who was a leader of anti-Russian appraisal, appraisal in uh, 1864. And these books were distributed uh, for uh, free at many exhibitions and... Uh, uh, I think they are still available, accessible in, in bookstores and including uh, Russian Orthodox Church uh, places, like kiosks, you can buy them. Um, so media. So according to my uh, research and uh, Gallup um, uh, recent uh, opinion poll, 60-65% uh, of Belarusians are looking at the world and Belarus events through Russian, through the prism of Russian media. Um, of course, Belarus government is trying to limit, you know, this scope of this prism uh, by changing, for example, Russian news, but Russian TV channels to Belarusian news. But we should understand that Russian message is not only in the news programs, it is in built-in series, in movies, in TV shows, like Salavyov, Kisilov and, uh, and all others. And the influence for media, it happens 24-7. Uh, um, here you see numbers. So uh, on the left, that's uh, elements of Russian media presence in Belarus. We see the presence through TV channels, uh, major NTV Belarus and RTR Belarus, which is the Belarus version of uh, Telekanal Russia. RTR Belarus and NTV is kind of hybrid TV channel because as I mentioned, they have Belarusian news, but 
they have all other content, almost all other content, films and series uh, directly uh, taken from Russia. Um, social networks. Is the, is the editorial for them in Minsk? Like who, who is determining content? In Minsk, yes. Minsk get the signal and uh, stream, stream it through cable everywhere. Because we have so-called social package. All these channels, they are part of the so-called social package. Every house, uh, in every city and village ha should have access to these TV channels, uh, uh, at least on TV and Russia. That's why uh, their audience is so huge. Because along with Belarus 1, Belarus 2 and Belarus 3, you always can fight on TV Belarus and RTR Belarus. And also Russian social networks, Adnoklastiki and Vkontakte. Belarusians are not so, um, uh, don't, don't like so much you know, Facebook or Instagram as they like Adnoklastiki. And Adnoklastiki are totally dominated by... Uh, by Russian narratives, and they're controlled by Russian security services. Because if you publish any anti-Russian content there, the support service uh, deleted during 24 hours. And the same um, uh, websites, the most popular websites in Belarus is not Tudubai, which is like the main portal in Belarus that has millions of views, but news mail.ru. People who has the mail.ru mailbox, they always start their date with a news mail.ru, which is the aggregator news aggregator collecting uh, headlines uh, from different media but most of these media are uh, Russian or pro-Russian pro you will huh? yeah, yeah. pro-Russian pro because you will never see for example headlines in news mail.ru or news yandex.ru headlines from Radio for Europe uh, or like Belsat TV which is like uh, Europe Poland funded uh, TV channel in Belarus and the, uh, among like eight uh, major services, websites, four are Russian. And the same problem, uh, the same thing with TV channels. It's a weekly reach of national television station. We see the second and third of these hybrid channels. NTV Belarus and RTR Belarus. Uh, so one is 2013, another number is 2017. Uh, so um, we see a slight decline uh, for all channels for this period of time, but still they keep the second and the third position and they still are the most trusted. Oh, okay, I, I, I have another slide. Um, here we see the websites. It's just a comparison. It's like the websites which are giving political news information. And uh, the most interesting finding that Sputnik is growing. And uh, that's interesting uh, how it's growing because um, in reality there is no big advertisement. Um, they do not um, fund, you know, a lot of, they don't make Facebook ads. Uh, it's difficult, you know, to, to find um, Sputnik, for example, uh, regularly quoted. But its audience growing. And that's actual, uh, I think that's a task for an extra search, you know, to understand how this Russian media get in their audiences. Or it's like mouth to mouth, or it's uh, artificially created, or through Yandex. Maybe Yandex uh, get, you know, uh, put these websites higher in search engines. Um, all, all the options are possible. But you see comparison, comparable to like Polish, uh, Poland-funded Belsat or US-funded RFERL, Sputnik is much higher. And it was five times less uh, like one year and a half ago in the beginning of 2017. Uh, and even Charter 97, which is blocked by uh, Belarus government, uh, since um, February or January, 
um, it's uh, still, you know, not, not so high, you know, not so uh, popular uh, as it was as it was like ten years ago, for example, when Charter ninety seven uh, actually formed uh, the public opinion. Um, so this trend is continuing, and it's supported also by the growing of Russian platforms uh, like Vkontakte and Adnoklasniki, because Vkontakte, besides the news feed and the possibility of communicate with your friends and uh, etc., it gives you uh, free films, free music, free content accessible, and young people love it when they have when they have access to all possible multimedia content without paying for it. And uh, that's that's how Russia uh, does. They just like steal the content from the uh, from the West and uh, use it, you know, to spread the Ruskimir concept. Uh, that's another diagram that it shows the, um, uh, the which media you use for using for getting news information called the three. So uh, people were asked just to name three media from where they just uh, use the information. It means how their uh, perception of the world is formed. And we see that the from fourth to uh, seventh position are Russian media and TV, Russia, Yandex, and Contacts are the sources of, uh, of the influence and media sphere. And uh, we can see the state media channels, despite huge promotion and uh, uh, spending by government you know, for their support, they are not so uh, influential. And on the right, you see the trust. Uh, not trust, but you see the combination. Combination of state media, Russian and independent. You see how together they serve as a primary sources of news information. So if you will combine the Russian, they are uh, still the, despite they're not so much as a state-owned media, they still have a, a big share of the audience. And here that's a trust. That's the most important, you know, that the Russian media are more trusted than the official one, than the state-funded uh, media. And this chant stays the same for many years. Uh, people still trust uh, RTR and TV, they still believe, they don't, uh, they, they, they feel sometimes offended by uh, the government and they uh, correlate their dissatisfaction with the current government, with their dissatisfaction with uh, all the elements of this government, like media, uh, governance, uh, mid-level uh, officials. And that's why they prefer Russian, because they Sometimes they connect, you know, the change in Belarus with Russian, especially if they look through this Russian media prism. Um, and here, like more, more most vulnerable regions for Russian media influence, so eastern regions, uh, where the Russian TV channels has like more than ninety percent um, uh, share of the audience of the total audience, and small towns. Um, in small towns, actually, uh, they watch not through the cable. But very often, especially in village, they buy the Tricolor. Tricolor, that's a satellite TV package. When you buy uh, 300 channels, uh, very well selected by um, Russian experts for you. And you have Ansalavyov and Kiselyov, despite any manipulations with these hybrid TV channels by Minsk. So people doesn't like that uh, Minsk erase or change, substitute uh, news programs with Belarusian ones. That's why they started to buy tricolor packages in order to watch you know, the Russian news programs without censorship. 
Yes. And do you have data on the variation across yellows in the satellite TV subscriptions? Uh, yeah, that you, would... you would assume that you know the eastern eastern regions would have access uh, through other means, but if people are subscribing in western regions, uh, satellite television. So I think that um, uh, satellite television. It was made in two thousand twelve, uh, thirteen. The last uh, by Zerkala um, company, and it shows that actually the region there is no such correlation between West and East, such a relationship, but the relationship with the size of uh, of the um, uh, city or town. So it should be not very small village and not very big city, uh, and this particular type of the населенный пункт, how to say, like city, uh, administrative. Uh, Town, town, this type, yeah, this type of towns, they're the most uh, uh, likely to choose the satellite TV. It could be in Babrusk, it could be in Baranovich, it could be in uh, um, Kobrin, it could be in Orsha. So it shouldn't be like that. It will not be the biggest city and it will not be small villages. So they prefer this one. Um, but on the east, they watch uh, the cable TV. That, that, that's make east like more. Uh, 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 not vulnerable, yeah, accept, accept, acceptable you know, to, to, to Russian media. And here it's a um, digital age description, about also about, about vulnerabilities, uh, that the young people, you see from 15 to 25, they are likely to be users of uh, Russian social networks, Kontaktia and YouTube, of course, but they don't watch on YouTube like Saturday Night Live, of course. Um, and Naklasniki, uh, which are created for the older generation. And uh, as I realized, Russians do not expect, you know, to cover the all age groups in Belarus by their social networks. They are pretty happy to have the clue, uh, the key influence on the youngest and the elderly. Uh, how social networks are working. So it's a um, it's a network of the information exchange. Uh, there are uh, up to two three hundred groups in Belarus and Kontaktia. I will show you now examples. Sometimes they create their own content, but sometimes they borrow the content from the big groups in Russia, like which have like million, two or three million subscribers, like Anti Maidan, Vladimir Putin, Krasny Put, Zapadenets, Nikolai Starikov. They take their content and share, 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 share share from each other. And I make analysis of their content, how their content uh, in sense of form and in sense of narratives. In sense of form, the main secret is it's not only about politics. It's about entertainment, it's about having fun, it's about stupid jokes, it's about uh, kitties, uh, nice women, lifestyle. But between all these posts, you always will see the political message. Um, and uh, five major narratives uh, through social networks. So you, you should understand that social networks are um, much more opinionated, much more emotional in their narratives. So uh, Belarus opposition is marginalized. The true history is Russia. Belarus language uh, is ridiculous. You say Poland, NATO, Brussels are enemy of Belarus. Democracy is the mass. Pedophiles, gays, etc., etc. So they use like this regular, you know, concepts, the regular. Uh, narratives uh, spread through Russian TV channels in order to convince the young people that the West is not uh, it's not about them and here we see we see example it just uh, example from one week 
so ah no, no, not from other, from different type. So that's uh, anti-opposition messages. Uh, you can look internally on three uh, things: uh, water, fire, and how the opposition is beaten by police. Uh, you see, the difference uh, is evident. The Lukashenko's Russian uh, uh, supporters and the independent journalist uh, Bukovska. Uh, Anti-Ukrainian message are very popular. They uh, we never had such genocide like we have in Ukraine now. We didn't have it even under Hitler. And on the right side, um, the text Peter Poroshenko awarded the Senator of United States. Uh, and the picture is, yeah, you understand. The picture is uh, very offensive. Uh, historical revisionism. They say that, um, uh, that they just make jokes uh, from Belarusian independence, that real Belarusians are Poles or Russians. And on the right side, you see that Lithuanians, Estonians, and Latvians, they forgot that uh, Peter I gave them freedom and independence. And only because of uh, him, they exist. Anti-liberalism. It's very church, it's very anti-gay uh, marriages. Uh, and on the right, if democracy is the bombing of the countries, uh, raping of uh, girls, the protest against uh, arms, uh, then I want to live under the regime. So, like, polarization, like, just like to, 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 to counter, you know, to these two to, to concepts, you know. So, democracy is everything bad, and the regime is like the less evil. And that's the message, you know, which works pretty fine. Anti-Americanism. Uh, so uh, on the left, you see uh, it's like the most peaceful country in the world. Look at their cemetery. In the middle, the training of Russian, of Ukrainian uh, fighters. On the right, you see how Belarusians and Russians, uh, beautiful matryoshkas, are fighting against uh, American eagle. Uh, and they posted every hour, every hour, and they have sometimes dozens, sometimes thousands of shares. Uh, a neo-imperialism, that's a future of 2013, map of Russia, map of uh, Syria, uh, the great um, Pustinia, desert of toler to tolerance on the left, that's a Venezuela, and that's a space station, Australia, space station usually, you know, for Russia. Uh, and uh, on the right, you see anti-liberal Oberek. It's like talisman, how to say Oberek. Something that, that protects you. Uh, and you see the pictures of Stalin. Anti-Polonism. There are separate groups which post only anti-Polish message every day. And then they began like one year ago. So um, it's about, anti, about Ukrainian-Polish tension. Uh, uh, wake up, Litvins, your masters came back, like Polish soldiers coming back to Belarus, um, yeah, etc. Esperdalism, it means like, go, go, go away, go out from my ground. So they try to show that Poland doesn't like, Poland doesn't really accept Belarusian identity, neither, that Poland doesn't like Ukrainians, that current tension between Polish and Ukrainians there is a great example that uh, our, with Ukrainians, future will never be in the European community, but we always will belong to Russia. Church. So, uh, church uh, itself is um, formally, form formally independent. Uh, 
But in fact, it's really um, dependent and it's really used by pro-Russian organizations. So Russians, when they speak about Ruski Mir, uh, they usually appeal to uh, Eastern Orthodoxy. So they substitute this understanding. When you're Orthodox, it means you're Russian. So they uh, ignore the fact that the, let's say, the capital, you know, the root of orthodoxy in Constantinople, in Istanbul, not in Moscow, but for majority of people it doesn't matter. Because they repeated this narrative so many times that people really believed, you know, that uh, if you are orthodox, you should be friend of Russia. And you, I think you all know, you know the situation in Greece and Bulgaria, where these narratives is pushed very, very actively. Even in Romania, I just came back a few days ago, Russians are, uh, yeah, we have to support Russia because we are orthodox. Even Romanian Orthodox, who, are, who doesn't have anything in common with Russia, they still, you know, support this idea, which is the result of manipulation. And uh, here, if we divide, you know, these Eastern Orthodoxy churches according to their exarchates, we can see that the Russian Orthodox, it, uh, it's only Orthodoxy churches. So Lithuania, Latvia uh, here, it means uh, that if Orthodoxy, it will be Russian Orthodoxy there. There is no, like, separate exarchate in, in Baltic states. Correct me, Kestutis, if I'm wrong. Yeah, so um, you see that this is triunite Russia, which is like the core of orthodoxy, and that's potentially, on the previous, that's potentially our dream, I mean for Russians. And here we have the Pew Research, which made like uh, six months ago. They asked people, you know, if you're orthodox, they like only orthodox believers, how do they, uh, what do they think about uh, Russia? And you can see that um, opinion, strong Russia necessary to balance influence of West. Russia, Armenia, Serbia, and Belarus. From 85 to 76% believe yes, that Russia is necessary to balance the West. And the second graph, it means Russia has an obligation to protect Orthodox Christians. And the same. You see, the first is Armenia, the second is Serbia, the third is Russia, uh, and Greece. You see Belarus a little bit less, but still. The next. People in former Soviet republics with orthodox majorities favor strong ties with Russia. You see, among orthodox believers, what do they prefer? Reunification with Russia, 47%. With the European Union, only 17 is much less than average. And both equally 30%. So uh, they, the difference is plus 30% in favor of, uh, of Russia. The next. Uh, who is uh, more highest authority for you if you are orthodox? In Belarus, 54% patriarch of Moscow and only 8% named patriarch of Constantinople. In, on, in orthodox majority, uh, ah, strong Russia. Yeah, that's that's the same. You know, that's the same uh, correlation on the on the right. Uh, people view Russia as protector. We can just see the difference. And all orthodox. Uh, um, in the countries where Orthodox Church has stronger parishes, more loyal believers, they are usually more pro-Russians. Here, the situation of Belarus. Uh, that's um, official uh, numbers by Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Belarus. So we have 58% of believers. It doesn't seem so much. Uh, but about them, 82% uh, of Russian Orthodox. There is actually an interesting trend recently that uh, Russian Orthodox, most of people who belong to Russian Orthodox uh, don't really go to church and they perceive it like a ritual, so post-Soviet ritual in the same way as to go to elections. 
So they go to elections because you have to go to elections, because it's a part of your citizen obligation. And the same you have to, yes, I'm orthodox. And uh, that's a good example is Lukashenko's um, uh, statement. He said that I'm uh, orthodox atheist. I'm orthodox atheist. Lukashenko, um, and I think this Lukashenko's perception of orthodoxy is very mm, familiar to many, is very similar to what many Belarusians believe. But in reality is that only for 27% religion really is important. It makes Belarus one of the least uh, religious countries in the world. So when we see the map in the very beginning on the east of Belarus, east is totally secular, you know, without really strong churches or Catholics or Orthodox neither. Here the map of the uh, major of major churches in Belarus. So you see it's prevailing, prevail, prevailing according to number of parishes. Not number of people, but number of parishes. Because it's very difficult to measure, you know, number of real believers. So we see on the west, the border with Poland and Lithuania are primarily Catholics, with some Orthodox uh, cities. But on the south and some eastern, which were secular until like recently, we see the rise of Protestantism. And in Minsk, during the last five years, we see huge rise of Protestant parishes. It means there are much more Protestant parishes than Catholic and Orthodox together. And um, Protestantism is like a rising religion in Belarus. People who belonged before to Catholicism or to Orthodoxy, they actively changed to uh, Protestantism. Uh, which, which actually government doesn't like a lot. That's why they're trying to limit, the, to, to call um, Protestant churches a sect and to limit their real influence to the society. They confiscate their buildings, their property. Uh, and also because Protestants are very actively politically active politically and support the position much often than Orthodox, for example. And here we see the map of Russian Orthodox Church by number of parishes. We also see that on the West we have much more parishes than on the East. And I compare two maps, the maps of our pro-Russian organizations and now a map of Russian Orthodox parishes. And there are some patterns here, especially when we look at the West, Western Belarus, Central Belarus, and Vitebsk. We see the correlation. It means that these organizations, which are like exist in specific regions, they usually um, cooperate, collaborate, or have or Russian Orthodox parishes as the base for their activities. And um, and four uh, instruments: how Russian Orthodoxy is working in Belarus. First of all, they are um, promoting the idea of Ruski Mir and all Russian, pro-Russian uh, identity, that Belarus United Nation does not exist. I have been at the Christmas in Minsk uh, and uh, I went to the Orthodox Church, the cathedral, and the um, Belarusian uh, metropolit. He actually said that this year that's a good start, you know, to reunify our nations, you know, which were like divided. They repeat, you know, this statement all uh, the time, again and again. They promote Russophile uh, ideas and they organize the meetings with the ideologists of Ruski Mir. Um, not always in church themselves, but sometimes in the Dom Kulture, in the houses of culture. So they collaborate also with local governments. And local governments, they do not protest, they do not create any obstacles, you know, to limitations, you know, to Russian Orthodoxy. Uh, and of course, Russian Orthodox camps. Uh, Papri priests are coming, participating, 
uh, in these military uh, groups' uh, camps and making um, malitvin, prayings together. So now I will try to uh, assess the efficiency. So according to Paul, uh, what do you prefer, integration with Russia or European Union? We see that Russian integration is uh, 64%. It's growing because in 2013-14, it was about 55, even 54. It was more or less equal. But number of pro-EU felt a lot, felt significantly, felt significantly, and number of pro-Russian moods grew up. But it doesn't mean Belarusians want reintegration or reunification. Only 1% and 7 support the creation of one state, support the inclusion of Belarus into Russia. Uh, so uh, we see the support of ideology, but there is no support of the political um, um, uh, reunification. Another, uh, that's uh, views. What do you think? The question was asked, uh, what do you think about Russia? What are your views about Russia? And we see the rise also between 2013 and 17, before Maidan and the uh, revolution in Ukraine and after. We see also the rise, 6% rise of very favorable. And just favorable, they also about 